2 Peter chapter 1, and I want to read one verse there. That's verse 11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, we sang some songs this morning about heaven. And you know, the Apostle Paul said that if the only hope that we have in this life is in Christ, in Christ is in this life, he said we are of all men most miserable. How awful would it be if this is really as good as it gets? If there was nothing after this life, everything would be meaningless to us in our life. Every deed, every action would mean absolutely nothing if this is all that there was for the child of God. You know, I've said this in times past that if the only way that I can get into heaven is to just squeak in. If all, the only way that Frank Broncato is getting into heaven is to barely make it squeaking in, I want to squeak in. But you know, that's not what's going to happen. Because if I make it according to the word of God, I'm not going to just squeak in. If I make it, I'm going to get not only an entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but I'm going to get an abundant entrance. And what did that mean? You know, sometimes we just need an encouraging passage, an encouraging scripture, an encouraging sermon. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about the great hope that we have in Christ what are we striving for and what do we get at the end of this life? Over the past several weeks, we've been looking at the things that are found in 2 Peter as we began a series there. And we have began in chapter 1 and we've now come to verse 11. And you remember that last time I did mention verse 11 in passing as part of the conclusion. But we never really went into that and we want to do that today. But bear with me as we go back, just a couple of things to pull some highlights out of the verses that were before us, before we get to the verse that is at hand. We begin where the Apostle Peter is writing to those, as he says, of pre like precious faith. You know, he's talking about Christianity. And so many times people talk about Christianity, and they do so in a negative way, from the standpoint of all of the restrictions and all of the limitations that we have in our life. Now let me just go out and say this. We do have restrictions and we do have limitations in our life if we're going to live a godly life. The word of God guides us. The word of God tells us. The word of God instructs us in all of those ways. But I like what Peter says because Peter is not talking about the things that we have to give up. Peter is talking about how great it is to be a member of the church. And he says, and he says he's writing these things to those of like precious faith. Notice some of the blessings that we have in this life as a Christian. Beginning in verse 3, we've been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness. We also find that we've been given exceeding great and precious promises. We've been a partaker of the divine nature, God's divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Wonderful, wonderful things. Now, you know, we might think, if we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness, and we have nothing, we have need of nothing as a child of God, then just maybe we would look at that very idea and think, as many in the world do, and think that we don't have any responsibility at all. You know what Peter said? 
Peter said, because of what's been given to you and because of what's been done for you and because of how great it is to be a child of God and because you've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness, he says, this is what you're going to do. And that begins in verse 5. And he gives the seven Christian graces or seven Christian virtues. The first one that he says, he says, first of all, he says, for this reason, giving all diligence. And you know, the word giving there is talking about our effort. It's talking about what it is that we are going to prioritize and how hard we're going to work. Diligence means it happens right now. Don't delay. And so what Peter is saying is, it's so great that you're a Christian, so don't delay. Give everything you've got and do this. He said, add to that faith that is precious, virtue. You know, the word virtue means moral excellence. Now watch how all these work together as you grow in Christ. Add moral excellence. And to your moral excellence, it's going to cause you to do something. It's going to cause you to study the word of God. Your priorities are different. Then what's going to happen? You're going to get knowledge. And the knowledge is going to lead to something that we all need in every aspect of our life. And that is self-control. How many times have we made a bad choice or said something we really didn't mean to say or we wish we could take it back because we lacked self-control? You know what Peter's saying is? Peter's saying you add to your knowledge self-control. Now what else? In the King James Version, it talks about patience. You're going to add Patience, But the word means perseverance, and that's exactly what it says in the New King James. It's perseverance. And by the way, it doesn't mean as sometimes we describe patience as, okay, I'm going to sit here quietly and patiently endure the things that come my way. This word endurance, this word perseverance is an active word. It means this, that I set my eyes, I set my affections on things above, and nothing is going to derail me. I am never going to give up. You know, I'll tell you something. I think you have to make the determined resolve in your mind that I am never going to give up in advance. I don't think you could just hope you make the right choice as time goes on. I think you have to make the determined resolve that it doesn't make any difference what comes my way in my life. I am never going to be anything except a faithful child of God. That's what the word means. It means endurance. I'm going to go to the end. You know, we've said this in times past. So many times... People grow discouraged because of things in life, and I get that. I understand that. I understand discouragement. I understand that completely. And I'm not minimizing the idea of being discouraged. What I'm saying is there is never a reason at all, regardless of discouragement, there is never a reason that justifies giving up. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This world will kick you around. It's the way it is. And you're going to have hard times. And we are not immune to any of those things. It's going to happen. But can you imagine this? Can you imagine going through this life 
with all of the things in life that are difficult and trying and discouraging, how about go through all of those things and miss heaven too? You have to make the determined resolve that I'm never going to be anything but a faithful child of God unto death. And I'm not going to give up no matter what. Also, there is godliness we add to our perseverance. You know what godliness is? Now picture this. We're adding to our faith, virtue, or moral excellence, knowledge, perseverance. We're adding these things to our life. And then it brings about something else. It brings about godliness. Now that word godliness does not mean your own personal spirituality. That word godliness means that God is at the forefront of your thinking and every decision that you make. Let me ask you something. Can't you see so far that these are steps that are going to help you successfully live the Christian life all the days of your life? My mind is fixed on the right thing now, and it led to godliness. What is that going to bring? The very next one is how we treat each other, and that is brotherly kindness. And finally, brotherly kindness, love. Now, I'm going to get back to this concept of love. But when we get to this point, love becomes our greatest motivation. Motivating us to do that which is right. All right, look at verse 10. Jump to verse 10. Peter says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. What a great promise that is. The King James says, If you do these things... If you add these seven Christian graces, and by the way, not only add them, but it says if they are yours and they abound. You know what abound means? Abound means in great, uh, uh, it extends to greatness. In other words, it's to overdo it. If that's what's going on in your life, these seven Christian graces, and they are yours and they abound, you're not going to be fruitless. You're not going to be barren. And by the way, you're going to have something that's going to help you for the rest of your life. In fact, he says, if you do these things, you will never, ever fall. I heard somebody say one time that if you do these things, you will never sin. And I don't think that's correct. The Bible says that all have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. There's no one that's perfect. There's no one that lived a life that was perfect except Jesus. And so that's not possible for us to live our life without sin. In fact, at night, at night we pillow our heads at night, and what do we do? We, even things that we may not know that we did that were wrong, we ask God to erase the board, as it were, and forgive us of whatever sin that's in our life. And when we have the blood of Jesus applied at baptism, we have that blood for the rest of our lives. So every day, when we ask God to forgive us, that blood washes that sin away too. That's a wonderful blessing for the child of God. But the Bible says you will never fall. That means fall from grace. You are never going to stumble. He says make your election sure. Your calling and election sure. Go back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to read one verse there. And that's verse 2. It talks about those that are elect. Now, who are those that are elect? He said, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. In other words, God has predetermined the kind of person that is going to be saved. What kind of person? Let's read on. The foreknowledge of God, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for 
obedience. Did you know that you were called to obey? We are called to obey. How does it work? Watch this. We're elect according to the foreknowledge of God in that God has determined the kind of person that's going to be saved, an obedient Christian. Now watch what else happens. The Holy Spirit gets involved. It says, and sanctification of the Holy Spirit, meaning that the, the word of God guides us to what? Obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's at baptism. Our life is filled with obedience. We are called by the gospel, Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We are called by the word of God, called by the gospel for obedience. And in verse 10, Peter says, if you do these things, you will never stumble. By adding, one scholar said, by adding these characteristics to the Christian life, one creates a strong defense against falling or losing his salvation. Is it possible to fall? It absolutely is possible to fall. Look in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. Very sobering words. And this is the great thing. Peter's saying it's possible to fall, but if you do these things, you're not going to. Watch this. It's possible. Verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or obeyed the gospel, become saved, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed her wallowing in the, in the mire. It is possible to fall from grace. It is possible to lose your salvation. But Peter says you don't have to. In fact, Barnes says about this passage, he said, you shall surely or certainly be saved. If we continue to grow in the knowledge of Christ, adding these virtues to our daily life, then we have the promise that we're not going to fall. Notice 1 John chapter 5. There's a way that we can know that we have eternal life. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. John says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Oh, such encouraging words. I've talked to so many Christians in my lifetime that were doubting whether they're saved. You can know that you have eternal life. John said, I'm writing these things that you may know that you have eternal life. That word know means to know right now, instantaneously, and for certainty. There's more. Look at 1 John 1. 1 John 1, beginning in verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him. And by the way, the first word know means to know for certain. The second word know means to have a relationship with. 
In other words, what he's saying is you can know for certain if you have a relationship with God, if you do what? The very next thing says, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Now, in just a minute, I want to notice that phrase right there in verse 5 that says the love of God is perfected in him. Remember, I said we're going to get back to love as a great motivator in our life. But first, notice this. We know that we know him if we keep his commandments. We know that we know him if we keep his word. Now, keeping his word is the same thing as keeping his commandments. And why is that? Because God's commands are expressed in his words and God's words are expressed in his commands. Now, the word keep is something that's done as a perpetual action, not a one-time thing. Keeping his commandments. Then he says this, the love of God is perfected in You know, scholars have had difficulty determining whether or not this is talking about man's love for God or God's love for man. Now, first of all, the Bible says we can't even fathom how much God loves us or to what degree God loves us other than what we read in the word of God. In John 3, 16, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How did God love us? He loved us to the degree that he was willing to send Jesus to die for the sins of the world. And by the way, you can tell the value that we place on things by how we are willing or what we're willing to give up for it. Now, God did not love us when we were righteous. The Bible says that God loved us when we were yet sinners. And he sent Jesus to die for the sins of the world when we were unworthy, when we were but sinners. So what's this passage talking about in 1 John chapter 1? What is the love of God perfected in the context that it is written? We must understand it in the context that it is written. It must mean our love for God in this passage because it's our obedience that shows the proof of our love. Do you know something? One man said one time, the true test of love for God is determined by our willingness to obey his will. It's never passive. It is always active. And it always seeks to prove itself. I want you to think back now. Some of you have been Christians for many, 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 many years. Some people are new Christians. But when you obey the gospel, the very first thing that you hear about the gospel is the state that your soul is in when you're a sinner. We learn that we are a sinner and we have fear because a sinner without the blood of Christ is going to be lost. So at the very beginning, we are driven by fear. 
Secondly, though, we are driven at the same time by hope. In other words, here's the fear. If I don't have Jesus, if I don't obey the Lord, if I don't obey the gospel, if I'm not baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of my sins, I'm lost. But here's the hope. Here's the good news. If I do that, I can have all of my sins washed away, and it doesn't matter what I've done in the past, it's forgiven. But guess what happens? That's not enough to just be driven by fear. We start to grow in Christ. And there comes a time when we keep his commandments, as John says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, that we are now driven by love, and when we keep his commandments, the love of God is perfected in us. That's our love for him. It becomes the great motivation in our life. In fact, the word perfected, according to Moulton, means to be fully developed. I'm going to tell you, you will do greater things in your life, spiritually speaking, or in any other walk of life. You will do greater things in your life when you're motivated by love than you ever will when you're motivated by fear. Let me illustrate it like this. Great coaches are not those that instill fear. The greatest coaches in any sport were not those that just wanted their team to be scared to death of them. Now, you are motivated by fear to some degree. But if you really want to make a difference in somebody's life, you really want to make a difference to someone else, you really want to get the most out of that person, get them to love you. Get them to respect you. Get them to feel like they don't want to let you down. That you mean that much to them. Are you getting the picture? Our faith grows to the point when we add those seven Christian graces or virtues. We grow in Christ. We follow God's commandments. We follow his words. The love of God is now perfected in us. It is made complete. And that love motivates us and drives us to serve God all the days of our life. Out of love. Out of love and appreciation for all that God does. It becomes our great motivating force. Look at verse 11. And this is what you get. This is what we get. In verse 11 of 2 Peter 1. For an entrance will be supplied to you. I love that. Not barely. It said if you do this stuff. Then there's going to be an entrance supplied to you abundantly. In the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, the abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom is provided by God if, there's a condition, if the Christian does his part by being diligent in adding the Christian attributes to his life. Now, watch this. We supply the virtues which must abound, which means exist in large quantities, and then God supplies the entrance and the entrance is abundantly or extreme quantities. I love how one man put it, he put it this way. He said, when we do our part in large amounts, please get that. Yeah, there's stuff required of us. Absolutely. You know what God wants from you? He wants everything you've got for the rest of your life, whatever that is. 
Some people have certain talents. Other people have other talents. The point is God wants whatever you have, and he wants it all. And he wants it every day. That's what he wants. He gave his best. He wants our best. So watch, look at the condition. Our part is this. When we do our part in large amounts, what's God going to do? He's going to give his part in large amounts too. In large amounts. All right. Sometimes people have a misunderstanding about the kingdom. The question before us is, how does the everlasting kingdom of 2 Peter 1 and 11, how does the everlasting kingdom of our passage relate to Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44? Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the Old Testament, to the book of Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44. It's really very simple. Because some people try to make a distinction between where the kingdom is and when the kingdom is going to be established and all of that. Very simple. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, the Bible says, And in those days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break into pieces and consume all these kingdoms, get this, and it shall stand forever. Now, how do we compare Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44 with 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 11? Well, first of all, the everlasting kingdom of 2 Peter 1 and 11 refers to the end of the world when the kingdom that is foretold or prophesied about in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44 is handed back over to the Father. The kingdom Daniel foretold about is pointing to a time when an undestructible kingdom would be established on the earth. Now please get this. The Lord Jesus Christ is not going to come back at his second coming and build or establish a kingdom on this earth. In fact, in Matthew chapter 16, when he said, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build what? I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Secondly, and I will give also unto thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44 foretold of an indestructible kingdom that would be established. And folks, the indestructible kingdom is the church. And when we're in the church, understand you are in something that is indestructible. You know, I'll tell you, looking at these verses and looking at this idea this week, I found great encouragement. I hope you can too. You know why? Because we live in a society and in a time when we are worried about the church. We're worried about the future of the church sometimes. You know, there's only one congregation of our brotherhood that exists now. Other congregations have closed their doors in this area. And you know what's amazing about that is 
We are the body of Christ in this area. And sometimes we worry, where will the church be in 20 years? I don't know where individual congregations are going to be, but understand this. Make no mistake about it and be encouraged. The church is going nowhere. It's going to stand. It's indestructible. And that is what the Lord is going to hand over to his father into the everlasting kingdom in heaven one day. It's going to abide forever. It's going to exist until that happens. Now, remember a couple things about this idea. Daniel prophesied hundreds of years before the church was ever established that the great event would take place. Peter, in our passage, is discussing events that will transpire at the end of the world. But during the time of Daniel's prophecy and the time that these things were written, various things happened. Here they were. Daniel, Joel, and Isaiah all prophesied about the establishment of the kingdom. Many years later, the voice of one crying in a wilderness, John the Baptist, came. And he said that the kingdom was coming. In fact, he said it was at hand. During the ministry of Jesus, Jesus, while preaching, said, Some of you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come with power. In Acts chapter 2, when the great gospel sermon was preached for the very first time on the day of Pentecost, he preached the word of God and 3,000 souls were saved. And in verse 47 it says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved. From Acts 2 on, the kingdom is spoken of as being in existence. Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, in verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us, all past tense, into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. So it's talking about something that is currently existing. Now look at Hebrews 12. In Hebrews chapter 12. And verse 28, therefore, since we receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. In other words, the kingdom is a pre-existing idea. It's the church. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9, John the Revelator said when he was on the Isle of Patmos, he talked about being in the kingdom. What's my point? My point is, if we want to go to the everlasting kingdom in heaven one day, that will never be destroyed, we have to be in the kingdom now, which is the church. And if we are in that kingdom, that's how we know, by the way, that nothing's going to happen to the church, because that's exactly what's going to be handed over to the Father. How do I know that? 1 Corinthians 15, 24 says, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. And you know, those that have obeyed God will be called into everlasting life throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. You know, the Bible says that the righteous shall be righteous still, and the wicked shall be wicked still. 
if you die in a saved state or the Lord comes back during a time in your life and you're still living and the Lord comes back and you're in a saved state, you're going to be saved forever. In fact, those that are saved will never have another care or another worry for all eternity. But those that will be lost, very sadly, will have no hope. In 2 Peter 1 and verse 12, Peter continues on. He says, therefore, or as a result of all this, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know them and are established in the present truth. How many times have you heard sermons about like what we're talking about right now? Maybe presented in a different way. Different men present things in a different way. But how many times have you heard sermons about being in the kingdom of the church and the kingdom being handed to the Father of an everlasting life and everlasting kingdom? Or heaven? Or the seven Christian graces and virtues and what you must do in your life? We hear it over and over and over and over again. We're in pretty good company, though. Look at verse 12 again. I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know them and are established in the present truth. You know, sometimes the human tendency is to forget. You know, I don't know what we would do if we didn't have the communion service every Lord's Day as has been given. How our minds need to be reflecting on what we do when we gather symbolically, as it were, around this table. We commemorate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in the greatest memorial ever erected for any man at any time. We need that. It's a blessing to do that. You know, I can't imagine why some religious affiliations wouldn't want to do it every week. Wouldn't want to have the communion every week. Sometimes it's the human tendency to forget. And Peter reminds them. Because when we forget, sometimes our spirituality wanes. Do you remember back in verse 9? In verse 9 of our text. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. If you can remember your life before you obeyed the gospel, and I don't mean not to forgive yourself, I just mean if you can remember it. If you can remember where you came from, you will appreciate where you've come and where you are now. And if you are reminded of all of these things, you're no longer short-sighted, like Peter said. You're going to be reminded, and you're going to know where you came from, and you're going to know the price that was paid for your sins. And here it is, practically speaking, it's going to help you successfully live the Christian life. He says that these things are that we might be established in the present truth. He knows that they know it, but he reminds them anyway. I think that's good encouragement for us, too. In fact, in verse 13, he says this. Yes, I think it's right as long as I'm in this tent. The King James says tabernacle. You know what he's saying? As long as, how many times have we said something like that? As long as I have breath in me, I'm going to remind you. That's what he's saying. 
I know you know it. I know you're established in it. I know you get it. I know all that. I'm going to tell you anyway. And I'm going to tell you as long as I am in this body. In fact, Thayer says that tabernacle or tent is a metaphor for the body. And he said what he's going to do. He's going to stir them up. That means to arouse the mind, according to Thayer. I'm going to arouse your mind. Then in verse 14. Knowing that shortly I must put off my tent or die, just as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Now, you know, I might make this point. I think Peter was reflecting back on what Jesus told him in John 21. Remember that? You remember when Peter denied the Lord three times? And Jesus rose from the dead. And sometimes we call this the second conversion of Peter. And Jesus comes to him and he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said again, do you love me? He said, oh, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my sheep. He said it again. He says, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love thee. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. But then Jesus said this. Look at verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you to where you do not wish. And notice this he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said, follow me. Peter knew he was coming to the end. He had gotten older. He knew that now he had to remind them. He had to remind them, and not only that, because now it is written down. What, did they, what were they able to do? They were able to read it and reread it and reread it and be encouraged. If you want to be encouraged in your Christian life, read your Bible. Read what the Word of God says in the Word of God about your salvation. Read about the great promises that you have as a child of God. And read about this. It doesn't matter what you go through in your life. It doesn't matter. If you're faithful unto death and you're a member of the Lord's church, Jesus will hand that church over to his father and you will be in the everlasting kingdom for all eternity in heaven one day. I can't even fathom that. You know, these things were so important to Peter that he speaks three times in the last four verses concerning the need to remind them of these spiritual truths. Remind them. If we have those seven Christian graces or virtues in our life and they're abiding in us, we're going to have an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in heaven. Not just squeaking in. The Lord's going to blow the doors off of heaven and let us in. What will heaven be like? And I say this in closing this morning. What's it going to be like? You ever had somebody in your life that died? 
a loved one? What's it going to be like? What if you really miss somebody in life, but they were faithful unto death? What about that? People have an idea of heaven. And they try to connect their great ideas of life on this earth. And they try to connect it to something that's eternal in heaven. Like if somebody liked to play golf, they're going to play golf in heaven. Or if they like to rodeo and rope steers, they're going to rope steers in heaven. Not going to be any steers in heaven. It's going to be spiritual bodies. But I guarantee you this, we can look and find in the book of Revelation, John's picture of heaven that is so beautiful we can't even fathom. But I'll just share this with you and I'm finished. James Kaufman tells a story about an elderly man who said this. He said, when I was young, I thought of heaven as a faraway place with golden domes and spires, with mansions and a world of light, and angels tripping about, none of whom I knew. But then my little brother died, and I thought of heaven as a place of golden domes and spires, a street of gold, and gates of pearl. But in addition to that, one tiny little precious face that I knew. But the great reaper continued his harvest on the earth, and my father died. My mother died. My wife died. And even my children. My friends, one by one, faded away till, like the last leaf on a tree, I alone was left. So when I think of heaven now, I always think of the loved ones whom I've loved and lost for a while. But who shall welcome me into the eternal abode in heaven? Simply put, now when I think of heaven, I think of home. You remember the last sermon Daryl preached? I do. I'll never forget it. And I wasn't even here. I just heard a clip of it. But he said, can you imagine how it's going to be in heaven? When we're all together. Taylor and Tanner have an older brother, too. He's going to be there. Don't you want to go? Don't you want to go? If you're here, you're not a child of God. You need to become one today. The steps to obey the gospel are simple. Paul said, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When we hear the word of God, Jesus said, you have a choice. In Mark 16, 16, he said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Jesus further said in Luke 13 and 3, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Have to make a change of our heart, a change of our mind, a change of life. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, 
I will confess you before my Father which is in heaven. That confession simply is, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. These steps are unto, they are up toward the point of salvation. But it's only when we go down into the watery grave of baptism that we contact the blood of Jesus that he shed so long ago and have our sins washed away. And guess what happens? Jesus adds us to the kingdom or the church. And if we're faithful unto death, we're going to the everlasting kingdom in heaven when Jesus takes the church and gives it to his father. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.